In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. God comes to earth, and there is no room for Him. God comes as a human person, and the community of human persons cannot receive Him, and so He goes to an animal barn. God comes to earth and immediately those who are responsible for his well-being as an infant are on the lamb, running from the authorities and the bureaucracies and the military and the politicians. How else could it be? If God had come to the earth and been received with sweet smiles by everybody, then we could not say that the earth was sunk in sin. For us, some of the details of the Christmas story are shocking, and they should be shocking. But what is shocking about them is shocking about us. Shocking about what became of us after the fall of our ancestors Adam and Eve, and all the progeny of them, and all that long story, a small part of which we have chronicled in the Old Testament. God knew what he was doing. God was not surprised at any of this. And we also notice the extreme calmness of the Virgin Mary throughout all of this. No wringing of hands, no self-pity, no me, oh my, why me? No complaining. One of the things at which you and I are Olympian champions just one foot in front of the other and doing what had to be done. She is beginning to understand what it means when you tell God, be it unto me according to thy word, as she told the Archangel Gabriel at the evangelization, or as we badly say, the Annunciation of the Virgin Mary. Christmas is all about God and all about us. Christmas is the winter Pascha, that is the passage or the Passover, because God is passing over from his beyond the heavens into the context of the human predicament, into space and time, unto life, walking around on this earth, breathing in, breathing out. And we know how this life has the thread of violence and blood and misunderstanding and argument and hatred woven into it. And yet it is the Christmas story. We must not be beguiled and misled by uh, the, uh, as they say, the hijacking of Christmas by the department stores. I have nothing against Macy's and Gimbel's making a profit at Christmas time. It's a nice thing. The problem is that when these nice things occur at the expense of the truth, not because they deny the truth, but because they conceal it, because they distort it. We sing Snami Bog, Metimonotheos, God is with us. But we Christians should be the ones, the salt of the earth and the leaven, who understand what it means when God takes up residence amongst us. It costs. 
it casts right from the beginning. Herod the king, who, as modern secular historians are quick to point out, was not such a bad administrator. Things were not all that bad in Palestine under Herod uh, the Great, as they called him, Herod the king. Herod the king is horrified with a deep political horror that a, a rival, a challenger to his power, has come to pass because he does not understand what the coming of the Messiah is. But is Herod the only one who imagines that the Messiah has merely a political significance? Of course not. Even the holy apostles, who as they themselves will confess, we have given up all things to follow thee, are asking, Lord, now will you restore Israel? This story is like that onion that you unwrap and unwrap and peel and peel and peel. It has so many dimensions. We don't want to let go of the singing and joy of the shepherds or of the prostrations of the Magi kings of Persia who come with their gifts. All that must be noted duly by us. We must not let go of the rest of the story, as they say. Not so easy to hold Christmas all together in balance. But it is the winter Pascha. And just as the, the spring Pascha of the Lord's resurrection proceeds out of an act of violence and blood and killing, so too the winter Pascha. And that is the sad comment upon us who live out the further implications of the fall of Adam and Eve when their own son, Cain, will murder their other son, Abel. The human story is not just this or not just that. It is this and it is that. The Old Testament, if we read it and study it and reread it, as we should be doing, Genesis and Exodus and all of that, the prophets, the judges, the, the Psalms, that we should be saturating ourselves with this and then turning to one another on the basis of our scriptural saturation and encouraging and exhorting each other when the other one is faint-hearted or slipping back. Scripture itself suggests to us the vast, the enormous complexity of the human condition. And it is within that wide perspective that we look at our own self, our own day, our own relations with our spouses and our children and our parents and colleagues and fellow workers and students and all of that. We are not people without a context. We are not people who have to, like secular people and pagans today, reinvent and reinvent themselves every other day. We have a context. We know who we are. We have roots and we know what soil they are in. Today on this uh, feast, 
we are celebrating the Feast of Stephen, about which the marvelous carol Good King Wenceslas is written. And Stephen continues the story of the march of Christianity. He is the proto-martyr, the first of them. And as the saying is, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He is one of the seven deacons chosen by the holy apostles to wait on the tables, to take care of the, the domestic needs of the Christian community because the apostles have other ministries that they cannot get to if they have to also be supervising the food service and the other details. And Stephen is a most remarkable man. The reader was reading that long, long epistle about the martyrdom of Stephen and his witness, the first great witness to Christ after the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection. And what he says and what he knows and what he sees are remarkable to us. And we study this because it is so early. But this was the, this is a uh, snapshot of what was on the mind of the first Christians. We sometimes think in our imaginations, what would it have been like if I had been there? And let us say that I am fortunate enough to be counted among the uh, primitive Christian community there in Jerusalem when things are hot, when uh, everybody is breathing down the necks of the Christians and wanting to kill them, including young Saul and the uh, ones who are going to stone uh, Stephen as a blasphemer are laying their, their uh, outer garments, this thing, next to his feet so people don't steal them because they want to get a, a good swing with the rock so that they can kill this man who freely confesses that uh, Christ is God. What else is blasphemy? The charge is right, by the way, from the standpoint of uh, the Sanhedrin. They are blaspheming. They are saying that a person whom they consider a mere man is God. Blasphemy. So Stephen makes his witness and they see his face that is shining like the face of an angel. And Stephen gives up his spirit joyfully. And he is the head of the line of that long line of martyrs which for the next 300 years in the heartland of the Roman Empire and for many, many more centuries outside in Persia and other places like that, uh, but at the heart of the Roman Empire, uh, for 300 years, uh, men and women will be convincing their pagan neighbors that they're nuts because they go to the arenas to be uh, slaughtered by gladiators with horrible uh, swords and tridents and all kinds of uh, uh, tools of the trade, or by wild beasts, to the cheering of a mob of hundreds or in a big amphitheater, tens of thousands of uh, pagans. And the Christians are the only ones who come in voluntarily. The others are all pulling against the chains and they're spitting on the uh, soldiers who are dragging them into the arena and they're cursing them and they're cursing the crowds with uh, their voices and hand gestures letting everybody know what they think of these uh, uh, spectacles and the Christians come in walking peacefully and with smiles and blessing and they are joyful 
What is the hallmark of the early church? It's joy. And it was precisely that joy under those circumstances that told the pagans, by the witness, the witness of their own eyes, their own experience, that Christians are all mentally deranged. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to be crazy. Look at the way they go to their deaths. They're suicidal. They're masochists. They're enjoying this. What's wrong with them? No decent pagan would do that. But the Christians know what is going on. The Christians understand the actual meaning of this horrible act of being put to death in the arena as part of a spectacle for the entertainment of a mob. The Christian is the one who sees through the chaos and the dereliction, the violence and the horror to the eternity. And we, poor ones in our age, cannot even see through a misunderstanding. What would we do? Not many martyrdoms are required of us in our society, God knowing our weakness. But these martyrdoms do not end with the coming of uh, the Emperor Constantine. In our own time, in the lifetime of most of us, under Marxism, Christians are put to death. Christians are put to death as I am speaking in Sudan and elsewhere, in many other places. So martyrdom is a continuing factor in the phenomenon of Christianity. And we must not so uh, distort the Christmas story that we can't bridge from the Christmas story to the reality. St. Stephen is a great witness for us. We honor him. And we honor our Stephen, our acolyte, who's celebrating his name day. What a name day. What a patron saint. Through the prayers of St. Stephen and of all the martyrs, where you and I be deepened in our faith, may we be rendered joyful in the face of adversity, and we may, be, may we be given true understanding of the daily circumstances of our life so that we see it in the light of eternity. Amen.